Well, good morning, and again, welcome to everyone here with us in person, those who are with us online. What a joy to begin a new year together, making much of the God of all grace who supplied for us all that we need in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's a joy and a privilege to do so. It's also a joy and a privilege to kick off our year with a global outreach Sunday. It's been the, the story and the pattern for our church family to start the year by looking at what God might be doing throughout the world. And as a global outreach team, we have been tasked with a very special vision. And I want to just do a quick sort of reminder of what it is that we are doing together as a global outreach team in the life of our church. So first of all, our global outreach team exists to lead Trinity into partnering with God on gospel mission throughout the world. Partnering with God on where He is working throughout the world in all the ways in which God is at work. We want to join Him in our support, financially, prayerfully, and also tangibly. And so it's a, it's a great task that we have, and we've been working at refining that task for our church family. We've laid out a threefold strategy. I got here in 2019, and we started working on this, and we laid it out at the beginning of 2020. A couple of things have happened in the middle of all of this, and yet, and yet in the midst of all of it, God is at work. What we laid out a few years ago, we're actually seeing still happening, and it's amazing. So first of all, let me refresh us a little bit of what we were doing. So in 2020, we, we put the focus first and foremost on praying, on prayer. That we would, One of our strategies in partnering with God's gospel mission throughout the world is one of prayer. That we would be praying for the church in hard places and for the work of our partners throughout the world. We We just wanted to have our hearts first geared in prayer for what God is doing and who He's doing it through. And then 2021, we had a focus on partners. That is, establishing and strengthening our gospel partners and connecting them better with our Trinity family. Having them in person and just getting a greater sense of who it is that we're connecting. And, and, and these strategies weren't just for those years. These three, this threefold strategy, we were spending a year on each one just to kind of establish it. And then foundationally going forward, our strategy as a global outreach team is pray, partner, and then thirdly, plant. 2022 and beyond. We didn't know what that was going to look like when we laid this out late 2019. We had no idea. We just wanted to see God planting gospel work throughout the world. And we wanted to be a part of that in some measure, in some way. And so we're, we're seeking to see the gospel get planted through missions and church planting, but also with long-term tangible, tangible partnerships. And we're not just, although it's important, throwing financial support, but we're also establishing long-term relationships, praying, and maybe even going to where our gospel partners are throughout the world. And so that's been our focus. And last year, just as a refresher also, we, we tried to reframe our gospel partners, and we put together this card, and you can find it out in the lobby, and put it in your Bible, and you can pray for them. On the back, on the front is our vision, and then on the back are our partners, and we broke them down into four sort of groupings. First, regional. Our regional partners are those that we're supporting within the, the reach of our region in New England, and that would be through college and university ministries, and through church planting, which we'll hear more about uh, in a few moments. 
Then we have global, and global partner, it's sort of in the title, global outreach, so it's somewhat expected. But right now, we have three main areas that we are partnering. Uh, In Quebec, through a very unique seminary that is raising up people who are reaching a very multinational region, Quebec is, and so we're supporting this work that's releasing missionaries and church planters in the greater Quebec region, and and all of the nations are going to Quebec, and it's amazing work, which we hope to share more in the years ahead. We're also in Eurasia, which we've been able to spend a, a good focus. God has provided the opportunity for us to get a good, tangible feel of the work that's happening in the area between Europe and Russia and all of that. And so we have missionaries, and, and we've, we, last year we had the opportunity to hear from a pastor from Armenia who is reaching those who are in, in sort of war-torn areas. It's incredible work, and, and it's been neat to see how God has opened up that partnership. And we've had a long-standing partnership with various places and people in Africa, and, and that continues to be very much a part of the fabric of our global outreach team. So regional, global. And then we have missional. And our missional focus is, is really it's serving and supporting works that kind of go ahead of the gospel, enabling the gospel to get into hard places or unique places. And there are two particular ways in which we've been partnering with that. One is with Unto, and that is with Dave Parsons, who we heard from back in November. And Unto is a humanitarian arm of crew ministries, and it goes into areas that are in great need in crisis mode, bringing tangible humanitarian aid. But they're also bringing people equipped with the gospel (laughs) to share the gospel and to do initial works in these hard-to-reach places, places that maybe missionaries can't get into, but the humanitarian relief can. And so that's been great. As by way of a reminder, we currently have a Christmas offering still open for the next couple of weeks uh, and that offering is going to go to helping us put together a packing event for Unto here in Trinity in April. So that what we would do is get together and pack up boxes of actual things that will go to people in these terrible situations that, that will immediately be getting the aid and the relief. And so it's one way that our global outreach team wants us to, to be tangibly engaged is through this packing event. So if you haven't yet and are prayerfully considering to give toward our Christmas offering, indicate that on your, on your giving. It's for the Christmas offering, and we'll be sure to, to help curb the costs of putting together a packing event to serve unto. Also in our missional work is our very own Kimberly Minch is a part of 100-fold Studio, and, and we got to hear from her last year and, and hear her heart and the work that they're doing to put together plans and, and, and designs for facilities and places in hard uh, or underdeveloped places in the world in which gospel ministry can happen. They get to go in and do this incredible work. And then behind them and within, with them comes uh, gospel ministries uh, to, to have the opportunity to thrive and grow. And so that's where some of our support and our partnership goes. And then lastly, Bible translation, another heritage of Trinity's engagement Tangibly and financially is is our support of uh, Bible translations, getting the language or getting the Bible into the languages of our peoples throughout the world. We've had partnership with various works and workers, and we'll continue to do so. That's just a reminder of what we're seeking to do as a global outreach team, and and what our 
our support goes to, our financial support, our prayerful support, our tangible support. Today, we get to hear a little bit more from one of our hopeful, ongoing, long-term regional works, and that is church planting. Church planting. We get to hear from Jeff Willett. Jeff is a pastor at a daughter church of Trinity Pepperell Christian Fellowship, just down the road. Jeff is joined by his wife, Christy, and their three daughters, Grace, Abby, and Ellie. And I've had the opportunity to get to know Jeff since moving here, part of a group of, small group of pastors that meet together once a month for encouragement and just to be in each other's lives. And, and Jeff is incredibly humble and happy. And those are two things that I've greatly appreciated in my time getting to know Jeff is that he's genuinely humble and genuinely happy. And it's infectious, and I hope that we leave here genuinely humble and genuinely happy by what we get to hear. Jeff is going to share with us about the importance of planting new churches, but within that, he gets to share a bit of his own story and church planting and where it connects with us as a family of churches, Trinity, and its involvement over the years. So let's welcome Jeff, and let's have eager hearts to hear how much God cares about church planting, especially in our region. Jeff? Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I heard there was a hook down here, which is great. So, humble and happy. It'd be a bummer if I was a, a drag after that. Yeah, no pressure, no pressure. Uh, as Pastor Sean said, we've gotten to know each other in a pastor's group uh, that's been incredibly encouraging to me. I know it has been, as, as Pastor Sean said as well, and I'm so thankful to be invited here this morning to share with all of you God's Word and what God has been doing in and through you, your history, and also what He's doing now uh, throughout New England and in particular in our churches uh, here in this area Really grateful to be here for the first Sunday of 2022. Uh, It seems extra special, uh, so thank you for having me here on this day. Our our passage this morning is going to be Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You can, if you have a Bible, uh, you can open up there and hold your place there, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. And we're just going to read that in a moment. Well, preaching outside of our church, outside of Pepperell Christian Fellowship, we call it PCF, uh, it's always a privilege to share uh, with other churches. But this morning, it just feels like it's an extra special opportunity for me personally to be here sharing with you. And so to explain what I mean by that, I have to take you back in time a little bit. For some of you, this is before you existed, but... Uh, That'll make me feel a little bit old, but that's okay. It's good to have you with us. I have to take you back to 1988. Uh, Back in 1988, that was the year that your church, Trinity Baptist, generously sent out a small group of people with a meager amount of funding to start a church in a little neighboring wayward town of Pepperell, Massachusetts. And that's the church that came to be known as Pepperell Christian Fellowship. That's where I am one of the pastors there today. And to the best of my knowledge, I think that was the last of a a bunch of plants 
uh, from Trinity. Uh, so that was the last of the plants to date uh, from Trinity. And that church that you planted started out in a little living room uh, in Pepperell. And that was 33 years ago. It started with a handful of people in that little living room. And now we're in two buildings that are now connected. We just finished a a big renovation project uh, right before COVID hit. We got to build this great structure and then close it for for COVID uh, when all that hit. Uh, but now it's, it, we have these structures in place on Main Street and Pepperell. There's about 200 people attending between two services on a Sunday morning. And I'm not bragging about our ability to do these things, but, but God's ability to do these things. He has been so faithful to our church and also through your church. Your church has been faithful in sending people and resources And so you have been blessed by God, and you were faithful in being a blessing to other people throughout the region and continue to be. Right there, that's probably enough to celebrate that you had this small little church in this nowhere town, and it's it's grown, and God is flourishing it. But I want to highlight one particular story from those meager beginnings at PCF. And that starts with a teenage boy, probably 12 or 13 when he started attending our services back in the early days of PCF. He wasn't a believer when he started attending. Uh, He was partially coming because his best friend was one of, uh, his father was one of the people that was planting that church, PCF. Uh, Also is right down the street from his house, so we were a convenient, uh, convenient location. And to be honest, I think he was coming to hang out with his friends, <laughs> which is typical of, of a teenager. Uh, but that, I think, was the, the main motivation. Uh, after a while, that little church plant had enough teens in their group to start a youth group. And so a, on Tuesday nights, a small group started meeting. And also, they started, that same group would migrate on Wednesday nights uh, to what he and his friends would call the big youth group which was here at Trinity Baptist Church. You were the the big youth group to a small plant. And he would actually meet his future wife uh, during this time at this youth group, but that's another story for another day. But month after month, week after week, month after month, uh, this teenager on Sunday mornings, on Tuesday nights, on Wednesday evenings, he would hear the gospel over and over and over. And by God's grace, God came and saved him. He changed his heart and he came to know Jesus as his savior. And after that, I saw clear evidence of new life in this young man. He was eager to read scripture. He was growing in his love for Jesus in leaps and bounds. And praise God that I'm still learning. I'm still growing in my love for Jesus. I'll fast forward the story a little bit for the sake of time. Fast forward a bunch of years. I received a clear call to ministry while in my late 30s. You could say uh, I chose to change my career for my midlife crisis. And so I went into pastoral ministry, trusting in the power of our sovereign God. I jumped from management in a a management career in the health insurance industry and went back to seminary, went back to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, 
where I completed a master's in divinity and have been a full-time pastor at PCF for the past five years or so. Mine is just one of hundreds of stories of lives transformed by the power of the gospel because your church family was willing to make the sacrifice to send people out, people that you loved and cared about, cherished, and you believed that it was worth the sacrifice in order that Christ would be exalted, that the gospel would be heard, that God would be glorified in the spreading of the gospel. And that's why I'm here this morning. I'm here today to talk to you about church planting because it's something God has really made me passionate about and Lord willing, as uh, Pastor Sean uh, alluded to, maybe in the next year or so, we will be planting our first church, most likely in a neighboring town to Pepperell, towns in Massachusetts, just west of Pepperell. And so first of all, thank you for your faithfulness, your church's faithfulness to the gospel, to the spread of the gospel. And I have a goal. I want to put up my goal of the message this morning up front. And that's this, that to show you the continued need for church planting and to show how church planting uniquely meets that need. Very simple. The continued need for church planting and how church planting meets that specific need. So I'm eager to get us into the text. So if you're there, uh, if not, open up with me to Matthew 5. We're going to read verses 14 to 16. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's, I think, a, a familiar passage to many of us here this morning. Maybe one that you're thinking might not been a, have been the first choice in talking about church planting. But I'm eager to show that it does explain the need for church planting and to show that church planting is the way to meet that need. Look back with me at the first verse that we read, verse 14. Jesus said there, you are the light of the world. What I want us to recognize is that verse is actually pointing to what the Bible sees as the deepest need of every man, woman, child, from every nation around the world, Jesus declares to his disciples then and likewise to us today that you are the light of the world. In telling us that, he's actually telling us, pointing out the deepest of all needs of humankind. That being the world needs light. That's our first main point this morning, that the world needs light. Clearly, if you think about it, the absence of, absence of light is darkness, we could say. And the need for light actually points to the existence of darkness in the world. The need for light is the evidence of that darkness, if you will. And so before we can talk about the light we bring, that Jesus is commanding us to bring and to show to others, we need to understand that darkness that we're bringing the light into. 
You can actually trace the need for light but entering the darkness back all the way to the opening verses of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, you may recall that in the beginning, the world was full of darkness. We read in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. But then in the very next verse, we read that God spoke light into existence. Verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. When God speaks, things happen. Things change. Things come to being. And so what we see here from the beginning of creation of the world is God's mission in the world is to establish his order, his rule over the overarching, the overcoming darkness of the world with the light of his love for the world. And so just as there's a a need for the, the physical light in the world, there's a tangible spiritual darkness that requires spiritual light, the light of God's word. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 explains our condition well. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In fact, hell, is, hell itself is described as being a place of darkness. At the end of the parable of the talents, you remember, Jesus says to one of those, the one that doesn't invest his talent but keeps it, buries it, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That means the greatest need in the world, in Every era of history, every time in history, the greatest need of every person is to see the light of the gospel. I think it's really easy to look around and clearly see the darkness around us, isn't it? It's a broken world. It doesn't take long to realize that. Things don't work the way they should. People are broken and sinful. We hurt one another. We are hurt by others. Let me share one last verse that is even more specific about this darkness. That's Ephesians 6, 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, the greatest need in the world is for light. The great darkness is there, it exists, and therefore there's a great need for the light, specifically in our region here in New England. It is a a dry place. Many people call it a rocky place for the gospel to try to take seed. We are a stubborn people. We are self-sufficient. We are, in many people's words, all set with religion and any other things having to do with Jesus. We are all set in New England, as we say. I'm sure many of you recognize this great darkness. It's apparent in our own lives, in our own hearts, in our families, in our friendships, in our workplaces. One church planting network out of Vermont, it's called NETS. The abbreviation is NETS, the New England Training and Sending Center. They give this testimony of why the work of church planting is so needed in New England. I want to share that with you. New England is the new American missional frontier. 
polls show this region to be the least religious, least Bible-minded, and most post-Christian in the nation. Roughly 2 to 4% of New Englanders attend an evangelical church. Isn't that amazing? And with just one church for every four to 8,000 people, it's home to many of America's most churchless cities. Along with Mormon Utah, the Northeast is the most gospel-parched region of the nation. That points to the great darkness that is present in our region. How does that compare to our region? I had mentioned that we are looking to plant potentially in Townsend, Massachusetts. Uh, My wife, Christy, and I have lived there for the last 21 years, and it's a place that we're strongly considering planting. And there, it's a small town of about 9,500 people, and there is one small evangelical church, one gospel witness in town, reaching about 40 people in that town. That's 40 out of 9,500 people. That means that less than 1% of the people in Townsend have a means to hear the gospel and to respond. Hear that said another way. That means at least 98%, well over 9,000 people, are living in utter darkness in Townsend, Massachusetts alone. That's one town they don't know the gospel. They, have, they aren't saved. And it breaks my heart that my neighbors are living in darkness. They don't know Jesus. If they die, they will die apart from the love of Christ. The eternity set before us in Christ. The point then is this. The world around us is in desperate need of light. Without the light of the gospel, they'll be separated from God's goodness for eternity. And reaching these people with the gospel is the mission of not only of our churches, it's the mission of our lives, our individual lives are to spread this gospel. That is the mission of a disciple. And so if we really believe that reaching those around us is the primary need church planting seeks to meet, then the question is, how does church planting actually meet that need? It's a good question. We know the need now, but how does a church plant fill that need? Look at the second sentence of our passage. Jesus makes the statement, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. I think most of us are pretty familiar with the travel into Boston on I-93. And if you are, you know from here to there, there's not a lot to look at on that journey. It's... Uh, As you get closer to the city, you start seeing some billboards and there's some industrial buildings. You know you're getting closer to Boston. And then just a little outside the city, there's a point you you round this corner on I-95 and just outside the city. And there's a point where you round that corner and you just see this first big view of Boston. You just see that familiar skyline. Some of you may even commute daily, so you know that very well. That's the first big view. You can't miss it at that point unless you're paying attention to something else. And if you've ever made that trip at night, it's beautiful. You, You see this city line and it's lit up with lights and it's striking. But one thing's for sure, you will not miss it on that drive. You know you're approaching that city. Given the context of our passage is light, I believe that Jesus is is alluding here to the fact that Jerusalem itself was a city 
up on a hill. It was unavoidable. You can't help but notice it. Implied in that statement, I think it stands up in the, in the hill. And if, if the city is lit up at night, you can, you can just see the magnificence of this city glaring to the darkness around it. I think that, that view on I-93 still catches my attention after all these years. Just seeing that, that vision of a city just set out there. How much more would it be if you are a weary traveler in the Middle East and you come around a corner, around the difficult terrain of the Middle East and you come around that corner and catch a glimpse of Jerusalem standing up there on the hill. It, it would have been a, a vision of a beacon of salvation in a sense. It would have mean you could fulfill sustenance there. There was food and, and water. There was people there. It was safer than traveling on the road by yourself. There was safety in there. You could resupply your needs. You could provide a respite from the dangers of the road. Churches are meant to be cities on a hill. We are to be gospel communities shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the communities that we serve in countless ways, various ways, but always shining our light in the community. And I believe that church plants are uniquely suited to bring that light of the gospel. I want to quote pastor and author Tim Keller. He says this, dozens of denominational studies have confirmed that the average new church gains most of its new members 60 to 80 percent from the ranks of people who are not attending any worshiping body. While churches over 10 to 15 years of age gain 80 to 90 percent of new members by transfer from other congregations. This means the average new congregation will bring six to eight times more new people into the life of the body of Christ than an older congregation of the same size. That's amazing. And that's not to disparage existing churches. PCF is an existing church, just as you are, your established church. And that's the hope of every church plant, is that you won't stay small, but you will grow and mature and, and grow into a healthy church that is established in the community. And so that established church, a church like Trinity or PCF, becomes a great place to raise up new leaders. A great place for people to be equipped with the gospel. People to get a passion for spreading that gospel. And to send them out to these small places where nobody is sharing that gospel. That's a great opportunity. I believe that's God's way of setting all of that up as I think about the established church and the, the small, nimble church plants. I believe that is by design. That we are to be, we are blessed to be a blessing. So it's not that established churches can't or aren't reaching communities. They, they do and we should continue. We need to. That's, that's the great commission. We're to reach our neighbors with the gospel. Make disciples and baptize them. Teaching them everything Jesus had said and taught. And so why is it that smaller churches, actually church plants, they attract more numbers from those who are not saved or new disciples? Why is it that church plants tend to succeed in reaching them outside the church? What's unique? 
There's a pastor author from the UK named Tim Chester who said the mission of church plants is particularly to scatter and at the same time scatter to gather. I love that because I can remember that. <laughs> scatter and scatter to gather. So first, church plants are meant to scatter. Jesus calls us to go and might make disciples. He doesn't say stay where you are. Although he says, I will plant you in a place and you stay there and you make disciples. But he says, go to them. They're not knocking down our doors to hear about Jesus, are they? And so we need to go to the people with the gospel message. So we are to scatter in these communities. I look at it as these little beacons of light throughout communities that are sharing the gospel in the midst of the darkness. Little surrounding communities of light throughout these places where things are difficult. There are challenges. People are broken in need. And we get to tell them we are needy people. We need Jesus. But we know Jesus. And so we are introducing them to him. And so we're in New England. One thing that it's not unique in our small towns in New England, but is profoundly true, is that town borders matter. What I mean by that is that each town has its kind of this subculture within the culture of the region. Uh, for example, I grew up actually in Pepperell, and there was always a known difference between the local towns in the area. And so that got acutely clear to me in high school where we had a regional high school. It has Pepperell, Townsend, and Ashby all in one high school because we're small towns, and so we have partnered together. And without revealing any cross-border kind of skirmishes between our towns, uh, a general observation would be that Townsend residents see Ashby as being this rural, isolated area. Literally the town that borders Townsend. We see it as very much more rural, even though it borders the city of Fitchburg. And growing up in Pepperell, I know living now in Townsend, almost equally as long as I was in Pepperell, Pepperell people see Townsend as feeling more isolated than Pepperell. Their Pepperell uh, is because Townsend is 25, as we like to say, 25 minutes away from anything. It really is. It's 25 minutes away from any major store or restaurant. Well, Pepperell is just 15 minutes. <laughs> that 10, min 10 minutes makes a real big difference. It actually does, though, in our psyche. And so... We, coming from Townsend, we come to the big city of Nashua for our shopping and our restaurants because there's nothing out our way. And so you get to see this difference. It's the same in New Hampshire. We have uh, friends and relatives in the area. And so you look at Hollis. Hollis feels different than Amherst. Hudson, New Hampshire, feels different than Litchfield. And there's things you can put your finger on, and then there's others that you just... It's assumed by the people you're with in, in the culture. And so it's not only a perceived difference, but town lines sometimes affect our travel preferences. I was talking to a woman recently at PCF. Uh, she, was, she was newer uh, to PCF. And um, she said one of the things that kept her from coming to us is that she was over the border in Brookline, New Hampshire. And so it felt like a long way to travel into Massachusetts to go to church. And that literally 
kept her away for years, thinking it's, oh, it's just, just too, too far. And she says to me, Jeff, you, I have to laugh now because it's 15 minutes from my house. But you know what? That border, crossing the border, <laughs> made a difference. And, and that's why we need small churches in each of these places that are familiar with that subculture within the culture, that, that fits within it, that, that knows it, that can speak into it. Because there are differences. My non-Christian neighbors will not drive 10 minutes over the border to go to church. They're just not. That's a, another added excuse not to come. That's a long ways away. I got to get the kids ready in the morning. It's really hard. But in my case, if you put a church in my neighborhood, some of that excuse is taken away. Well, you're just around the corner. And there's a church right here. I would love you to come. That's, very, that's a different cell. So that's where church planning comes in. It, we're meant to scatter these gospel communities in each of these little towns, in these subcultures within the overall culture. The way we say it at our church is we want to see more churches closer to people. That's our simple way of our church planting strategy. More churches closer to people. And we're praying there would be gospel-centered communities engaged, engaged church, uh, community-engaged churches in every New England town. That's our, that's our dream, and that's bigger than us. That's bigger than PCF. That's bigger than any of us can alone as churches manage. And so we're seeing lots of churches partner together to plant churches together. And it's been so encouraging to see God doing that. He's raising up a vision for church planting in small communities you would never expect with pastors with a vision or people in the congregation that have a heart for seeing their neighbors reached with the gospel. That's, that's my story that I shared with you at the beginning of our time. The church Trinity planted in Pepperell was in my best friend's living room. And I was really going there mainly to hang out with my friends. But that changed. I was a 12-year-old boy riding my bike to church to, to go hang out with my friends and though God's purposes in planting that church were much bigger than just me, I realized that. But the personal message to me was that God loves me so much. And he wanted me to know him so much that he planted a church in my neighborhood. <laughs> what a message to me. I will never forget that. And that's what we're seeking to do. If, if that little church plant had been in air, which is 25 minutes from Pepperell, my little legs weren't pedaling my bike to air, regardless of how much I wanted to see my friends. It was because it was right there in my neighborhood. And I knew the people there. I trusted them. I loved them. Even before I knew the gospel and what that was all about. And they invited me and it was close so that is scattering. The other piece I said was gathering. We scatter to gather. It's not enough just to move into a neighborhood to establish a church. But the beauty of the gathered community is to be on display. One of the first things that attracted me at this little church plant to the gospel was that the leaders of PCF and many of the adults at the time, uh, they cared about my friends and I. You know, sometimes it can be hard for adults to to talk and make relationship with teens outside their, their family. They were very intentional in befriending me, asking me how things were, speaking into my life, building trust with me. They, they loved 
me and my friends. And so they were teaching us all along the way. They were teaching us the gospel. They were showing us what gospel community looked like. I saw them not just preaching the gospel. They were living the gospel. I think that's what blew my mind was I had seen religion. I had been part of a church. My parents brought, my mom brought us to church. And I saw, I saw religious people. But these people were different. They were living the gospel, not perfectly, but they would, they would admit that they were broken. They would admit their need for the gospel. Got me thinking, do I need the gospel? I think I need the gospel. What does it mean to have the gospel? But, but it was that, that community, that gathered community that showed me the gospel before I understood what it actually was, before I knew Jesus. So we're meant to scatter out these communities to live the life of the gospel in the throes of everyday life. So gospel intentionality in the everyday throes of life. So just like a city on the hill, it's just being who we are in our communities. It's being sons and daughters of the living God, followers of Christ in a transparent way as we gather together. Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by your what? By your love for one another. It's because it's tangible. The world doesn't love like the community of God does, the family of God. To see that is something abnormal out in the world. It's light in the darkness. Verse 15 in our passage, back to our passage, Jesus says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. We let our lights shine, not keep it to ourselves, not to be ashamed of it, but to shine it out in the darkness, in our homes, in our communities, the places we shop, the relationships that we continue to build. So we established our need for the light. It's the greatest need of the world Church plants meet the need for the light by bringing that light to communities. And so as what is the ultimate purpose of bringing that light? What is the ultimate purpose of all of that? And I think for church plants, it's the same as for us as individuals that I mentioned before. And that's our final point that church plants elicit praise. Praise for God. After saying that no one puts a lamp under a basket, Jesus tells us, do not hide your light, but that in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Point of our lives in general and the point of church planting and established church is specifically to reach people with the gospel. So more people glorify our heavenly Father. So God is glorified. Jesus says that they will see your good works and glorify God. There's a really important point right here because it involves an important question that we should ask ourselves in this verse, which is, will people make the connection between our works and our God in heaven? How does that even happen? That they, they see the good things we do the good things we say and the good things, deeds we do, and they will glorify God in heaven. How does that happen? Seems to be a, a disconnect there. Here's what I mean. We often talk about this verse as saying when we do good things, we are letting our light shine. We're letting our light shine for all men to see. 
And that may actually be true. It actually may not be true. This is what I mean by that. If your non-believing neighbor volunteers to mow your lawn while you're on vacation, yes, that's coming after the winter. If they volunteer as a non-believer to mow your lawn while you're on vacation, are they shining the light? Are they letting their light shine so all men can see? They're not. They don't have the light. They don't, they don't have Christ living within them to share the light. So it's not just the work itself. That's not just shining the light. It isn't just doing good works. And so if you take that example and you say, well, I as a believer am going to volunteer to mow my neighbor's lawn while they are on vacation, I can show them the generosity of God. The sacrificial nature of God. I can build relationship with them. And I can share in those moments my faith in the future. You can start to shine your light in the midst of doing good works. In our church, we we call this in our church mission statement, doing gospel works. Not just works, gospel works. And the difference is that you're letting Jesus shine through those works so they can make the connection between this good deed and our Father in heaven. We have to bridge that gap between those two things. A good work can just be, non-believers can do good works. They do it all the time. They build hospitals. They feed the hungry. All good things. But they can't share the light of the gospel by doing those things. We are meant to do that. We need to do that. That's our calling in life. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The point being that Jesus himself is the light that we're meant to share. He is the light. So letting our light shine is in our good works is displaying the character and love of God as we do things. It's being intentional about taking opportunities to share God's love for us. So the key to our good works resulting in people glorifying God and praising him is showing them that he's the God of the Bible. Pointing out that he is the one true light of the world. So two ways then we can answer the question, how is it that church plants uniquely elicit praise? First, church planting's a direct message to the community it's planted in that God loves them. That's my story. God loved me so much that he planted a church around the corner from my house. That's amazing. And that came because you as a church sent those people out sacrificed for the sake of the gospel and you reached out to people like me who were lost in darkness a second way church plants uniquely elicit praise that's jesus said as we read earlier i love that we did this verse earlier jesus says my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in your weakness i feel like that's my life story right there my weakness displaying God's glory and power. So a little meager church plant that reaches the community in powerful ways shows that the world, to the world, that God loves to reach, receive glory by using ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. We can't plant churches. We don't start churches. We don't save people. God does that. 
He uses us. We are tools in his hands, but, but he is doing the work. We have a, a saying in our church that, that we often repeat that we do some things, God does everything. That's so true in church planting. I can't plant a church. God can. He promises he will. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will build his church. And so we are to be used by God for that. Let me close with this. The reason I'm so passionate about church planting is not because it's the newest fad in church growth. It's because it's been going on since the early church. The Apostle Paul planted churches. He made disciples. He needed somewhere for them to be discipled. They're called churches. And then more needed to be planted. So he would travel another place, make disciples, establish a church. Then he would come back, establish elders, deacons, structure, establish the church there so it could continue to reach others with smaller churches. It's a beautiful and biblical vision that God has given us. And so we are to be scattered communities of gospel light throughout New England. I believe that's what God has called us to do at PCF. And I'd submit to you that he's called you to as well as well as many other churches in our area. And the whole point of that is so the darkness will see the light, transformed by the gospel. And so as our passage says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us that you are... You are on mission to reach us, that we are blind and in the dark without you. Lord, that you would come. We just celebrated Christmas, Lord, where we celebrate that you came. You humbled yourself to be a little baby, Lord, so that you could live perfectly. Give your perfect life as a sacrifice for us that we could believe in you and get the future only you deserve. Lord, you are so merciful and kind and good to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, help us to see the way that we can be a light in the world as individuals, as churches. Lord, help us to spread that light so others will see, others will be transformed and come to praise you as their heavenly father. Lord, we can't do this. We don't pretend to have the ability to do all things that need to be done. But we know you want the light to be spoken in the darkness. So Lord, go before us. Go with us. Continue to spread your light through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.